Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to another Writer's Routine podcast. Now this week, we're having a look at the working day and the planning, the plotting and the publishing process of Barbara Nadell. Barbara will publish her 30th novel this year and she's only been writing full on for around 20 years. That is high turnover. So we talk about what she needed to happen to get her very first novel published and that magical twist of fate uh, that let it all fall into place. Also, we find out why writing for her started as the creative break that she needed away from the stress of her day job. And we talk about why she keeps returning to one particular series as she explores the characters, the geography and the politics of one set of stories and whether she thinks the ideas for that will ever run out. No, actually, I know that sounds a bit arrogant, but the reason for that is less to do with me. Although some of my books are set in other places in Turkey, most of them are set in Istanbul. That is more to do with the city, which is just an endless source of material. You know, the history is so enormous. You know, you are walking on it the whole time. So stay there. It's all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for giving Writer's Routine a listen. My name is Dan Simpson and this is the show where we chat to an author about their working day. We try and get any glimmer of the nuances and the intricacies of how they get their stories from their head uh, down onto the page. And then we use that to try and help our own work. Now, this is episode number 29. Wow. I realised that the other day, you know, that all in all, what with, with sending out emails and harassing publishers, trying to get rooms booked, editing, all of that, uh, and when we did the very first interviews, I've been at this for almost a year. And it doesn't matter whether you've been with me since the beginning or if this is the first time that you've tried us out and given us a listen. I'd love you to do me a favour if you've got the time. You see, I'm looking for stories of how advice from one of the authors that you've heard on this show has helped you with a story that you're working on. I don't know, maybe you had an idea for a novel years ago. You sat down full of determination uh, and you got a few pages written, but you just couldn't get on with it. And, you know, as it does, life got in the way. So you clicked save and you never came back to it. And you've forgotten all about it, really, until you saw this podcast and you thought, well, I'll give that a go. And then now maybe you've got some inspiration from someone that we've had on and it's prompted you to, to reopen the file and push on. 
Now, if that's something that's happened to you, please let me know, because I tell you, it makes all of the work we do for this worthwhile. Now, the best way to tell me is to leave it as a review on the iTunes podcast store. So if you open that up, you click on it, you find Writer's Routine, uh, you've got a nice big box in the review section, so you can write the story of your story to me. And I look forward to reading it on the iTunes podcast store. And what with all the advice that you've been given so far on the show, it will be beautifully written, of course. So today's guest talking us through her writer's routine is Barbara Nadell. She's a mystery writer and a prolific series mystery writer too. In this year, 2018, she will publish her 29th and 30th novel. Her first one came out way back when, in 1999, which I say way back when, but it's not even 20 years ago. 30 novels in under 20 years. That is a high work rate. Now, she's known best for three series. You've got the Hackim and Arnold's, uh, of which there are soon to be six. You've got the Francis Hancock thrillers. There are four of those. And the Inspector Ickman mysteries. She will publish the 20th one of those this year. So naturally, our chat kind of focuses on those stories. She talks about how much she loves writing for Inspector Chetin Ickman of the Istanbul Police Force and what she thinks drives those stories, what she needs in her mind before she puts her fingers on the keyboard to start writing. Also, her series of books, they take place pretty strongly uh, and separately across two distinct places which are pivotal to her life. There's Turkey, where she's been travelling to since she was young and she's seemingly obsessed by the culture, politics, the history and the geography of the country. There's also the East End of London, where she grew up. So we chat about how closely and also differently she writes those two places. And you can hear what she thinks about guilty pleasures, uh, because across writing circles on Twitter recently, I don't know if you might have seen this, that phrase, guilty pleasure, It's been bandied around a lot recently and it's caused a lot of fuss. So we'll get into that as well. In the middle of the show, we'll get a top writing tip that could change the way you work forever. It's all about the importance of names this week. So stay there. That's all on the way after our guest with her writer's routine. It's mystery author Barbara Nadell. I always describe myself as being a bit like a Sesame Street character, which you may remember, called Big Bird, who would often sit amongst just stuff. And that's me. I've got my computer screen in front of me, my keyboard. My desk is just piled with stuff. Um, On the wall in front of me, I have got um, the head of a flamingo, not a real one. I've also got some flamingo lights, books everywhere on the floor in cupboards on shelves and there's a window to my right and that looks out first of all into the street but then in two fields opposite the street I mean sometimes if I'm writing away from home I'll take the laptop with me but I work usually with the the desktop at home yeah and is there any uh, plots and plans stuck to the walls? Have oh, you got have you got a whiteboard? How how does that work? <laughs> it's I used to work in a hospital before a psychiatric hospital before I started writing full time, which was a couple of years ago now. And I don't know. I think it was being in that in that environment for such a long time. I got into the habit of just writing things on bits of paper because you know it's it psychiatric hospitals 
even today are not particularly sort of media savvy shall we say and all our psychiatrists used to use bits of paper or cigarette packets mainly uh, and they would put all these notes in their back pockets and we all got used to just writing on bits of paper so there are bits of paper all over my desk stuck on the wall I know where stuff is if you see what I mean (laughs) we'll talk in a bit about how those bit of bits of paper make their way into into a fully yeah. published story, um, but the, so the show's called Writer's Routine. Okay. Talk me through yours then. The moment you wake up to the mm-hmm. moment you go to bed on a day when you are writing. Well, I'm go- writing from her in my office. Yeah. Um, well, I get up. Um, it's a horrible situation, really. You know, try not to look at yourself in the mirror because you're really too early for that. And then I'll usually deal with my cats before I do anything else because cats are not the sort of beasts that allow you to sort of lay in bed or, in fact, do anything that requires thought on your part. So I feed them, get them sorted out, uh, get washed and dressed. Some writers, I do know, if they're writing at home, they'll get washed, but they'll spend the day in their pyjamas. But I have to do, probably because I worked in a hospital, I have to do the getting dressed, putting on makeup, that sort of business in the morning because it feels right. Um, Then I'll make myself a cup of tea. Uh, might have something to eat, might not. Uh, sit down at my desk, be assaulted by cats. <laughs> this is this is a common thread that goes through my day, and then I'll usually start writing probably about half past eight, something like that. And with the exception of probably five minutes break for a cup of tea, sometime in the morning, I'll write through until lunchtime. I mean, it's pretty full on, really. Then I will generally write until about half past five. So if the writing finishes at about half past five... It does, yeah. Is that your working day over in your mind, though? Are the stories oh, still bubbling God, away? No. I mean, actually, as the, as the, there's a difference between, for me, when you start a book and when you're halfway through and when you're completely the way through... At the beginning, you're sort of gently working things out. You you do think about it, but it's not obsessive. By the time you've got to the end, which is where I'm at at the moment with a book, you can't switch it off. I mean, it goes all day. Then I get to the point, maybe a month before I've finished a book, when I really don't sleep, which is where I'm at at the moment. <laughs> so getting up is, is more of a sort of... Um, you know, it's just a routine thing. I've not necessarily been to sleep. Um, sometimes I'll just get up in the night, wongle around and go and do a bit more work. But it's it becomes obsessive because all those problems, I think, that you you thought sort of in the earlier stages of the book, you thought, right, well, I'll deal with that later. And suddenly it's later and you've got to deal with it. (laughs) You're working for almost nine hours a day, Uh give or take a few sporadic breaks here and there. What qualifies for you as a productive day? Is it word count? 
It is actually, yes. I know for a lot of people that's not the case, but yes, I would say it is for me. Um, I mean, speed varies so much. You know, sometimes it's it, the the ideal of sitting down at 8.30 in the morning and writing, you know, that is an ideal world. Because often what happens is you sit at the desk and you just stare into space or you think, shall I have a look at Twitter or what? You know, shall I have a look at the paper? <laughs> um, because, you know, it is very variable. I mean, some days I do sit there and I just start and I go and I go and I go. And other days I faff with things and worry about things. And it, it's very different. But if I was sort of to give advice to somebody who wanted to be a writer, you know, if you sit there and wait for the inspiration to come, you may be dead by the time that turns up. Um, you have to treat it like a job, or I do. I have to think, right, I have to do this in this amount of time to meet my deadline. So I can't just sort of you know, rock up one morning and think, oh, you know what? I don't feel like it today because there are consequences like there are with any job. So what is the ground that you're trying to lay each day? For instance, what would you be annoyed at if you didn't manage to get that amount of work done in one day? Um, what a word count. Yeah, what's, what's your minimum count? Um, well, again, that really depends. Um, I like to get I like to get four or five thousand words down if I can. If it's less than that, because, you know, there are different parts of the book. Some are more difficult than others. Um, and sometimes if you're doing a lot of descriptive work on locations, sometimes it's not just a question of thinking back, but you've got to you've got to check things out as well as you go along sometimes. I mean, some of my locations, I know them so well it's not a problem but occasionally you get and you've got then to go to source material and find because something will always crop up um i had something i was i was working early this morning and i had something crop up about a driving test and i thought oh god yeah i can't i can't actually remember you know i'll have to go and look that up i thought it was something i thought i knew but i didn't and if you get that kind of feeling, I don't know whether I know this, but I might do, you really have to check it out. It's called Belshazzar's Daughter. Um, it's still in print. It took me ages to write it, and it was massive. I, I actually wrote it quite a long time before 1999, because I didn't know anything about publishing. So when I had written it I think it was 1994 I wrote this thing and I wrote it as a sort of relaxation I was working in a hospital it's a very pressured environment you know so I used to do this to sort of help me to relax and I sent it to a couple of publishers who just sort of you know no um, firstly it was the location not very many people were going to Turkey in those days so it was sort of, no, no, that's too out there, you know. Um, and the other thing was that I didn't know what I was doing. I was just sending this thing off. And then in 1998, we hit one of our, in my family, it's just, you know, my my room, my, my room and my desk, they reflect my life, which is utter chaos. Um, and we, we'd hit another 
point of chaos. Um, my husband had been made redundant. There was no money. It was, oh, God. So I dragged it out of a drawer and I did a bit of research and I discovered there were these people called agents who can, who you know, literary agents who get stuff published. So I sent it to one who, there was a person who worked for them who had the same surname as an ancestor of mine. And so I sent it to them, just random, really randomly. And somebody there picked it up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, I imagine you'll be quite acute to the fact we've had quite a lot of crime writers on over the last few weeks but get this if all goes to plan if everything works out in the diary and if the buses get me there on time we should have one of this country's most successful on the show very soon and uh, speaking of interviews that are in the pipeline we've got loads a really exciting diverse mix of people on here too we've got some lifestyle self-help authors coming on we've got debut thriller writers on soon as well and we've also got some veteran romance writers that will appear on the podcast in the next few weeks too it's something you really need to keep across and you can do that really easily by the way uh, just follow us on all the ways that you can really we're on writers pod that is on twitter we're also writers routine on instagram and you can send us a message on the website where we've got all the ways that you can listen to the show and you can catch up with all of our episodes on there too that is writersroutine.com every week on the show as well as the main bulky chat that we're all here for uh, we're also looking to get something small and snappy a tiny tip that may change the way you work forever so far we've had advice on plotting on reading more or on which youtube videos may help you move your story along and today the writing tip that may change the way you work forever 
It's on names. I'm Sarah Ward and I've got a tip that may help you um, write uh, better. I love names. Names are really, really important to me. So what I do is I um, look at gravestones for the surnames, um, Derbyshire surnames. And then I also make my first names age appropriate. So um, if you want somebody who's in their their 50s, I go on websites to find out what the most popular name was for that birth year. And I tend to use both um, both the gravestone surnames and the first names from sort of uh, baby sites. There's lots and lots of websites around to make up my names. And that allows me to anchor that particular name in that particular setting. If you think that was helpful and you want more from Sarah Ward, uh, you can get her in the last episode of the show, which is Writer's Routine at number 28. And you can find links to all of her work, as always, over on the website, which is writersroutine.com. Right then, let's get back to our guest for this week sharing her writer's routine. It's Barbara Nadell. She's due to publish her 29th and 30th novel uh, in this year, 2018. And she's only been putting them out there for nearly 20 years. Her first one came out in 1999. That is such a staggering work rate that I'm determined to get to the bottom of. Now, in this part, we talk about guilty pleasures, how she makes her two settings for her stories, Turkey and London, distinct across all of her series. And we pick things up talking about the most prolific of her series, really, the Inspector Ickman mysteries, and why she keeps returning to write about Chetin Ickman of the Istanbul Police Force. I enjoy writing his character. He still, I think, has a lot to say. Um, and also the, the country is evolving. You know, I mean, it, it's... I've been going with it, you know, I've been writing this series for nearly 20 years now, so I've seen a lot of change. Um, and there's still a lot of change going on. Um, some of it's positive, some of it's negative. Um, it's a very... It's a very interesting place. It's very interesting at the moment, particularly politically. Mm. Um, quite scary in some ways. But it's it's part of the whole sort of, I guess, political upheaval that we're all sort of going through at the moment. But, of course, it plays out differently in different countries. Um, How much responsibility do you feel? Your books are read by a, a, a wide audience all mm. around the world. If you're, as you say, the the political situation in Turkey is is fairly volatile and Mm -hmm. it's possibly not known by a lot of people here in the UK. Do you feel a responsibility to mirror that and, and to let people know what's going on through your books? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the main point of fiction. I think if it if it's pertinent, you know, I don't like I don't like books that are you know supposedly fictional that preach at you uh, I don't think that's the job but you have to ref- reflect reality um, you know if you if you talk about I mean for argument's sake if you were setting a book in the UK now you'd have to talk about Brexit because everybody talks about Brexit the whole time and it's going to affect all our lives and people have very different and very sort of strong views on it so you couldn't really you couldn't ignore it do you know what I mean I'm sure there will be Brexit books you know fictional books with Brexit in you've mentioned how you don't want to force things through Mm -hmm. you're more than happy to stare at the wall and let things percolate Mm. 
with the 20th as I keep saying the 20th Inspector Rickman book Mm -hmm. coming out this year has there been any along the way when you think I need to get another one of his books out what am I going to write about now no, actually, I know that sounds a bit arrogant, but I, but I, I would, I would um, say that the reason for that is less to do with me, and more to do with. Although some of my books are set in other places in Turkey, most of them are set in Istanbul. That is more to do with the city, which is just an endless source of material. Um, it's not just you know the history is so enormous you know you are walking on it the whole time and you always find something new what what if another idea for this series never came to you again um well i do do other things so i could do other things so i could replace it with something yeah but i think probably what i'd want to do is do something really i mean i have got something bubbling over at the moment actually something kind of really radical and really different um I've got this kind of... uh, I've spent quite a bit of time in eastern Turkey and it's all quite mythological out there um, if you ignore all the tanks and everything. But, you know, as a place... Because it's it's Mesopotamia. It's this cradle of civilization, And I'd like to do... uh, You know, I've got a sort of idea buzzing around in the back of my head, a sort of magical realism thing. So, yeah, I don't think that will ever be a problem, really. How long ago was your first Hancock book published? Um, Do you know, I'm trying to think. When was that? That would have been about 2005. You're six years deep then in in the books around Turkey. Why was... What was new about this one? When this story came into your head, why did you think, why can't this be set here? Why do I need to move it... Here. Well, it, it, the the Hancock books and the Hackham and Arnold books are all set in the east end of London, which is where I'm from. But when I first started um, the Hancock books, uh, I think, you know, it, not at the time. I think I, I didn't, you don't always know about things at the time they happen. My father had just died. My father was from the east end. And a lot of those Hancock books are actually about my dad. Um, he was a great walker in in the East End, of, and he knew everything and everyone, and you know, and it, it was. I think a lot of that was an expression of of that, and his father as well, who kind of turns up in it. In the way you t- you tell those stories, uh-huh. do you think there are, there are a great wave of differences between the way you're writing about the East End and the way you're writing about Turkey? Are you consciously doing things that are separating the two for you? Um, I don't think it's conscious. Um, yes, obviously, they are very different. The people are very different. Um, and, you you know, that is a good thing. But I think the way I write them, it, it also kind of pulls up some of the similarities as well because there are certain things about those locations that... that have been different and now are not and vice versa um istanbul was under the um the ottoman empire was a very multicultural place then 
under the early days of the Republic, it became much more of a sort of Turkish city. Now it's it, it, it has gone through a phase of being more multicultural again, which is more like the East End. But the, the cultures are, ch- are changing. They're different. One of the things I like to um, point out with the East End series is that you know um the the sort of people that have we've we've got a sort of rolling that's the nature of the east and a rolling sort of cast of characters so in recent years we've had a lot of people from eastern europe so you know it changes the landscape you've got polish shops and you've got you know the bloke who runs the tobacconist is bulgarian and that sort of thing and there are, you know, with big cities, there's quite a lot of that going on in both cases, really. There is a different approach, obviously. Um, I suppose at the end of it all, you know, what is it about? It's about people being murdered. And unfortunately, that happens everywhere. <laughs> with any series, you've got the continuing story, the kind of backstory of... of the main character and and a few characters around him or her, their family or their friends. So you always have to include that. Um, Are you still developing the, those characters? Oh God, yeah. Because you you sort of you think about it um, like a, a fa- any family. You know, we all have families. People join the family, people leave the family, um, people get into difficulty, marriages, divorces, deaths. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Do you still think there's things about your leads that you don't know, though? Um, yeah, I think so, actually. I mean, sometimes they surprise you and you sort of, you know, one of my lead characters suddenly... And it was it was it was a very kind of natural way it happened, but it almost happened under my radar. It was sort of you know thinking, you know, this person's sexuality is an issue here. Why is that? What's that all about? And it and it was it was, and you know, so you have to deal with that. But then again, sometimes if you look back, you go back to earlier books and you think, yeah, well that. There were hints of that, actually. So that's probably what you're, what I'm picking up on. I have, there have been echoes of something earlier on, and then suddenly it sort of comes to the fore. It's crazy to think of the genesis of that. If, if you think, had you all, all through the, the character's life mm-hmm. known that this would be called into question, or are you piecing things together from from what you've written so far to then make that query yeah, happen yourself? I, I think it's the latter. I, th- I think it's my degree is in psychology. So with my psychologist hat on, that's what I would imagine is happening. Um, because nothing emanates from nothing. So it's got to be in there. Some, there's got to be signposts in there somewhere or other. This question might sound a tad aggressive, and I don't mean it to at all. It's just because, uh, as, as I say, for the final time, you've written a lot of books, mm-hmm. published a lot. Is there a formula to it? Is, is it like a factory floor now? I just, I just, I'm trying to figure out how you've managed to write um, so prolifically. No, I, d- I don't think... Well, if there is, I, it's, it's unconscious. Um, if there is a formula, it, it's unconscious. I know some people describe, 
you know, I have heard, not my book, but I have heard books described as formulaic, but I'm sure that that's not the case. No, I, I couldn't sort of say to you, well, look, this is how it's done, <laughs> because I haven't really worked that one out myself, really. <laughs> I've seen a brilliant article today. It's by an author called Erin Kelly. Oh, yes, yes. See, this is on the New Statesman. And she says, why I'm calling time on guilty pleasures. If your self-esteem is so fragile that you're ashamed to admit to enjoying a book that was Mm. stocked in Morrison's, you may want to make your next read a self-help book. Hmm. What do you think about the idea of a guilty pleasure? And how would you feel if, if things that you had written were placed on that type of shelf by someone who thinks, well, that's a guilty pleasure? I wouldn't mind, actually, as long as you're getting your stuff out there. You know, I I have quite a few guilty pleasures and I'm not ashamed of them. Um, I think the thing is, I, I don't know really where this sort of guilty pleasure thing comes from, really. But if you if you if you write for your living as i do you know if i don't if i don't deliver the goods then i can't pay the gas bill and i'm come from working class background so it's all very you know i don't have guilty pleasures i just get on with stuff and if i like something i like it <laughs> A huge thanks then to Barbara and Adele for coming on the show with her writer's routine. And if you've been inspired to pick up any of her 28 currently published books, we've got links to them all over at writersroutine.com, which is where you can get in touch with the show as well on there. Send us an email and you can find all the episodes and you can get all the different ways to listen to them on the site too. And remember... I'd love to hear the story of how something you have heard on this show has helped with your story. Please, just take a few minutes of your day. Tell me the most motivational thing that you have heard so far on this podcast, because I tell you, it makes it all worthwhile to us that work on the show. Uh, You can do that by leaving it as a comment in the review section on the iTunes podcast store. Finally, to keep across everything that we're doing on the show and to get some small, short, handy, inspirational quotes to keep you going every day, follow us any way you can. Uh, We're on Twitter and Instagram. And I will see you next week with another writer's routine. I look forward to it. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.